Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. All right, we are in a sermon series focused on the first letter of Peter. As you can see on the screen behind me, I think, yep. It's entitled Rock On. Thank you, Mike, for that title. I'm proud I won't bring that up every week, but thank you. Um, but Peter's name means rock, and the gist of this letter is encouragement. Rock on, keep going, rock and roll. He's trying to encourage early Christians, helping them to understand the, the hope that they have and how that hope changes your life. And not how it just changes your life, but how you embodying that hope, living that hope out, how that can change the world around you, change the people around you, and how this hope that we have in the resurrection can spread. So we're continuing in that sermon series. And this morning, I'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. And I invite you to hear God's word. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Lord, you have gathered us here this morning. Speak to us now through your scriptures. You have gathered us so that we can lift our voices to you, but so we can also be shaped and formed by your word. So through these scriptures, speak to us. May your word come through clearly to each and every one of us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, may we be shaped and formed into your likeness. Illuminate these scriptures. Open them up to us. That we would walk out of here reflecting you. We would walk out of here living out the hope that we have in you embodying the way of life that you have called us to. Not for our own sakes, but for the sake of the world around us, for all those who don't share in that hope, but who need hope, Lord. So speak to us through your scriptures now. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So at this point in Peter's letter, there's a shift. Before this, Peter has talked a lot about describing things, namely the hope that we as Christians have. But then we get to this section, and he starts using a lot of imperatives, commands, directives, do this, be like this, do that. And a lot of the rest of the letter is those types of imperatives. And I have to say, as Peter shifts into this section, he really begins it with a doozy here. This is a heavy, weighty section. Be holy, for I am holy. In the Bible, God's holiness is talked about as a heaviness at times. It's a, it's a weight. It's something that's unbearable. God's holiness at times overwhelms people. There are some people in the book of Leviticus, which focuses a lot on God's holiness, and we'll talk about in this sermon a little bit later too, but people lose their lives because of direct contact with things that are holy. There has to be a buffer put in place there. So be holy like I am holy. 
I hope that doesn't mean that we all become like radioactive and harm the people around us, but that's how God's holiness is described at certain times. So as I was reading that, if you were feeling a bit of a weight building or a pressure building, I, I think it's a little appropriate. But what I want to do this morning is actually kind of rewind this passage a little bit. Go backwards through this and unpack what Peter is doing here. So we're going to start with this line, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is kind of a tough line to understand. How does this actually work out in our lives? The thing with this passage and this whole section in 1 Peter, it gets preached fairly regularly and it gets used to influence behavior. And that's what Peter is doing here. But sadly, a lot of times, the definition of holy that's used isn't always rooted in what the Bible talks about with holiness. Holy is yet another one of those biblical terms that gets used so often that it starts to lose its specific meaning. And it's used throughout the Bible too. And the Greek and Hebrew terms are used regularly also. So they have a wide range of meaning. And sometimes people will focus in on one aspect of it or they'll import their own understanding of it. So all of a sudden, the holiness that they're talking about is not the same holiness that's talked about in the Bible. This passage actually gets used a lot by cults, and it gets used with a definition of holiness that leads to some pretty unholy behaviors that harm other people, that harm themselves. Now, holy is contrasted a lot with profane, and not in the sense of profanity as we understand it, but as common. The common things are there, they're normal, and the holy things are set apart. You probably have heard that, that holy is set apart. And there is truth to that. Holy is meant to be different. Sometimes, though, people will say, well, that means we're supposed to be separate from everything else. That we're supposed to separate, and you see little communes developing, or people isolating themselves, or uh, Christians trying to develop little sub-communities that are detached from everything else. That's not really what Peter's talking about here. We know he's not talking about that because there was actually a community in his day that was off in the caves living there, a Jewish community. And nowhere does he or anywhere else in the Bible say, go and be like them. Go and completely isolate yourselves and start a whole different society. The trend through the Bible is more that God's people are meant to be in the world as a blessing to the world, distinct from it, set apart from it, but in the midst of it all, connected so that this hope can spread. So the holiness that the Bible is talking about, it's one where you're in the midst of a world that is unholy, but you're bringing a bit of holiness to that world. You're set apart in that way. But then that leads us to the question, well, in what way should you be set apart? And I think... The Bible lays out some instructions. One of the most extensive pieces of instructions with holiness comes at the end of the book of Leviticus. And if you've been with me for a couple of years here at Stonebridge, you know I love Leviticus. I'm probably the only person live today that really loves Leviticus. Oh, you do? Okay. So there might be a bit of a different take here, though. Leviticus is like a code book in a way, the way it's structured. And the last third of Leviticus is what's called the holiness code. That's what biblical scholars call it. It's a very clear instruction to Israel about the way in which they're called to be holy. And it has these different laws that are in there. 
of how they're supposed to structure their society that is going to be different than the cultures around them. And there's pieces in there that have to do with personal behavior. There's also communal behavior. There's debt forgiveness talked about in that section. And if you get to Leviticus 19, that's the chapter that is known as introducing the holiness code. It's supposed to be a bit of a summary of what it is. And in that chapter, you get God saying, I am holy, I am holy, I am holy, over and over again, and giving these specific instructions. So Leviticus 19 is meant to be an introduction to the holiness code. The summary of holiness is meant to be found there. And if you're looking at Hebrew writing, it's different than in English writing. For us in English, usually the climax of a story or point comes a little bit towards the end. For Hebrew writing, the most important piece of it will usually be in the middle. So Leviticus 19 is structured in that way, where the most important piece is in the middle. When you get to the middle of Leviticus 19, can you guess what's there? It's actually love your neighbor as yourself. This makes it a little easy to understand why Jesus uses love your neighbor as yourself as a summary of the law. The law is what made Israel holy. This is a summary of it. Love your neighbor as yourself is right there. And why am I talking about Leviticus 19 when we're talking about Peter here? Well, it's because this line, you shall be holy for I am holy, is a quote from Leviticus 19, most likely. Leviticus 19 is kind of like a, one of those Beatles songs that everybody hears about, that people allude to, and the Beatles are overrated, by the way. But Leviticus isn't. Yeah. Got to make some enemies this morning. But you know how it's like common and you allude to it? In the New Testament, Leviticus 19 is referred to. And yet we don't focus on it that often. But that idea of holiness is tied to love your neighbor as yourself in the book of Leviticus. It's a summary of what holiness is to look like. It's the introduction to this holiness code. And that's the spirit in which all of these other rules and laws are lived out. So if we're talking about holiness and living it out, you have to talk about loving your neighbor as yourself. And this shouldn't be a big surprise. I mean, when the Bible talks about a theme over and over and over again and different writers all talk about it, you should probably listen. The, gospel, or the letters of John, God is love. The gospel of John, love one another. People will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus in Luke, love your neighbors and love your enemies. This comes up over and over and over again. So I think when Peter is giving his instructions to these early Christians, when he's using Leviticus 19, a chapter that would have been well known, that was part of a common discourse, it's hard for me to think that at least the Jewish readers of Peter wouldn't have made these connections, wouldn't have tied this together, wouldn't have recognized Leviticus 19 in that moment. They at least would have had somebody there who would have recognized it and help them to understand what it meant. So you shall be holy, for I am holy. Part of that, not all of it, but part of that is loving your neighbor. And Peter is instructing them throughout this letter on how to live in an unholy world and how to love their neighbors so that this hope that they have can spread. So I think that's a first piece to begin with here. But then leading into this, Peter says, be holy yourselves in all of your conduct. 
all of your conduct? So if you wanted to have your pressure alleviated here, I don't think we just did that, huh? This is one of those things where I'm wondering, like, is, does he literally mean all? Is it figurative? What are we supposed to do here? All I know with this one, I can't be holy in all of my conduct. And there's grace here. And I think we have to realize our conduct is not what makes us holy. Your association with Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ reaching out to you, the blood of Jesus, that's what makes one holy. Jesus makes us holy. And what Peter is trying to do is help our conduct to line up with our identity. You are already holy because Jesus. Now live that out. I think that's what Peter is describing here. But then leading to that, he says, the desires you formerly had in ignorance. And I think with this one, there's a Greek word used here, the word for desires. It's pronounced epithumia, which I'm just saying that because it's kind of a fun-sounding word. Every once in a while, there's these Greek words that just sound fun. Epithumia, splangnigzomai, it's kind of fun. That means compassion. But this one, epithumia, when it's used in a negative context, what it's pointing to is really insatiable desires. There's this deep, deep selfishness. And this is a part of being holy, I think, in the way God lines out holiness. There are desires that you have to let go of. There's selfish desires that harm you, that harm others, that will consume you. That's what epithumia points to, that you have to let go of. You have to walk away from. This life that Jesus calls us to, it looks different than the world around us in the sense that we don't hold on to those same selfish desires. We're not driven by selfishness. And that selfishness can express itself in all sorts of different ways. But it is something to let go of. Again, though, that's not an easy task. People have tried to let go of selfish desires for as long as humanity has been here, and yet the world still looks the way it does. So if we're trying to alleviate any sort of pressure or weight from this passage, Peter's just kind of continuing to add to it, I think, here. But then he says, like obedient children. This picture of children and following Jesus like a child, this is something Jesus brings up regularly. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, do so as one of these children. Children were not valued in the ancient world the way that we value them today. You normally had a lot of children because a lot of them were going to die. And you waited until they were older before you really invested in them to see which ones would survive. Now, Jesus is telling us to live like these children that were looked upon lowly. There's a humility here. And this is, I think, key to the biblical understanding of holiness. A holiness is not meant to make you feel better than the people around you. It's not meant so that you can look down on the other people who are not holy. Holiness is meant to inspire in you a, a humility, a childlike obedience to Jesus, a curiosity even about how do you follow Jesus, not meant to make you present yourself as though you have all the answers and that you know how to follow Jesus better than anybody else, 
but like an obedient child. You reflect on the instructions that are given, the instructions that Jesus gives, the instructions that Peter is about to give throughout this letter, and you retain that humility. I think that's important to holiness as well. Then Peter, leading into that, says, set all your hope. Again, that word all. It's like this, he's using this total language here. Everything is supposed to be directed towards Jesus. But the truth is, we all have hopes. Big hopes, small hopes. And those hopes define us. Especially the big ones. Some of the small ones don't. Like, for instance, right now, my wife and I, we desperately hope that we can get a full night's sleep. We have two young children, and guess what? We have a third on the way. So our hope, yes, thank you. A lot of, some of you know that already, but our hope for sleep is delayed, okay? You know, the Bible talks about the end times. That's probably when we're going to sleep. But those kinds of hopes, they don't define us in the same way that our big hopes do. The hopes of what this world is supposed to look like, the hopes of what your life is supposed to look like, the hope of how your life is going to go, how your life will ultimately end. Those types of hopes, they will direct your decisions. What you hope for ends up influencing your behavior. So when Peter is saying direct all your hopes on the hope you have, the grace of Jesus that will be given to you when Jesus is revealed, that's because that directs your behavior. The hope that we have should lead us to a level of holiness but the holiness is defined by that hope. I think you could summarize Peter's entire message with hope and holiness. But the holiness rests within the hope. That hope leads to the holiness. So that's why he's saying, whatever hopes you have, weave them into the hope we have in Jesus and the grace of Jesus. Whatever hopes you're holding on to for your life, rest them in the hope that you have in the grace of Jesus being revealed. That will lead to holiness. But then he closes, or he begins this with discipline yourselves. He also says, prepare yourself for action. But another translation of prepare yourself for action there is gird your loins. Biblical phrase there. Again, this discipline yourselves. It doesn't really alleviate the pressure. And then we've talked about some ideas about what holiness is. We, you can't capture holiness in one sermon. But we've danced around it a little bit. We've seen some aspects of it this morning. And there is discipline required in holiness. There is focus required in holiness. And it doesn't alleviate the pressure. Be holy as I am holy. Discipline yourselves. It's really when we get to the very first line, the first word of this section, that I think we can see some of that pressure start to be alleviated. Where Peter says, therefore. Therefore connects this section to another section. And here's the thing with discipline, with focus, with obedience. They can take a lot of energy. When I think of discipline and focus, one of the practices that comes to mind for me is actually the game of golf. Which again, I've said this before, I'm not good at. Maybe because it requires more physical discipline than, than I have within me. But when Emily and I got married, some people gave us some golf instructions with some lessons. And I went there and 
you know, I did my little swing, and there was a video thing, and then he showed me 13 different things I needed to work on. And each one of them you have to work on individually. It's like paint by numbers. And I just thought, oh, is this worth it? But I remember, my wife, by the way, is much better at pretty much all sports than I am. She's, she's a great athlete, and golf is one of those. I can, like, run faster and lift things just because I'm bigger. Everything else she's better than me at. So one day we were golfing. And I almost had her, you guys. <laughs> we're heading into the second to last hole, and I was ahead. I had like a two-stroke two lead, three-stroke lead, and I was so excited because I was going to get her. It's like when we played horse one time. We played 50 times. The record's like 49 and 1, but that last time was the one I won, so I never played again. And I was going to give up golf that day. And I almost had her. So I started thinking about all the stuff the golf instructor said. I started trying to focus, and I started trying to swing. And guess what? The last two holes, miserable. And she beat me, and I didn't take it very well. I'm a little competitive, okay? She beat me. We had a really frosty drive home. I may have accused her of speaking during my last swing, which didn't actually happen. Had to apologize later. And I just kind of ruined the day. I really wish I could go back and look at the big picture there. Sometimes when you're trying to be disciplined, when you're trying to be focused, when you're trying to be obedient, you can lose sight of the big picture. And you can focus on the ways in which you're failing, and you can think about the 13 different ways your golf stroke isn't lining up perfectly. But when you step back and look at the big picture, things go back into perspective. I wish I would have recognized that on that day, I was outside in Seattle in the summer, which is beautiful, with my wife, who I love dearly and enjoy spending time with, playing a game that we both could enjoy. And I wish I would have relaxed and just had fun. Now, following Jesus is not a game. It's much more serious than a game, but the same principle applies here. Sometimes you have to step back. When you're focused on something like holiness, when you're focused on your own behaviors and your own conduct, you have to step back and remember the big picture. And that's what Peter does with that therefore. That therefore ties all these instructions on holiness that he's about to give to what came before. And what came before is Peter describing what God has done. It's Peter describing God's actions. It's Peter describing the hope that they have in the work of God. The more and more that you focus on your own behavior and isolate it from God's behavior, the more you forget that your behavior is a response to God's behavior first, that the only way any of us can be holy is because of God's love in Jesus Christ, the gift of Jesus that cleansed the world, and the hope we have that makes us set apart from the rest of the world. The more you let go of that, the more you just get into a trap of recognizing how unholy you actually are. Any holiness that we receive is derived from Jesus. It doesn't rest on our own behavior or our own conduct. That therefore ties it all together. And I think that's where some of this pressure becomes alleviated. When you remember first that all you are doing as a Christian is responding to what God has done first, that you are going to do it imperfectly but you do the best that you can so that other people can see the hope that you have, embrace that hope, and that the news of hope and resurrection can spread throughout this world and it can reflect God's desires more and more, that makes it a little bit easier 
to accept your own part. And this is true of that quote from Leviticus 19 also. Remember, Israel was blessed to be a blessing. Israel was called to be holy so that they could be a blessing to the rest of the world. Holiness rests in God's action first, not our own. And I think the very first step to holiness is reflecting on what God has done, resting in what God has done, embracing the love that Jesus has offered you. When you were enemies with God, God reached out to you in Jesus. That, I think, sets us on a path towards holiness. Please pray with me. Lord, you call us to be holy because you are holy. And there are ways in which that feels impossible. Because your holiness is so distinct. Your holiness is what sets you apart from the fallen world that we live in. But we know that there are aspects of it that we can follow. Lord, may your love overflow into us and overflow onto others. May we be holy in the way that you were holy, being willing to sacrifice for us, being willing to go to the cross to die for us, being willing to give up everything for us. Help us to do likewise. Help us to be set apart from the world around us by the hope we have in you by the way that hope changes our behavior. Help us to be set apart from the world around us by the love we have that can only come from you. That that love would make us distinct from those around us. Help us to be set apart from the world around us by the fact that we know you are alive. We know that you are at work. We know that you are restoring this world. And we want others to know that also. Help us to be holy in the way you are holy.
soul once torn and beaten left without reason to the one that rescues me. You rescue me. Oh, oh. you are the God that saves. And you call me from the grave. You rescue me. Ransomed out of the the one 